Yes, women workers do present problems, Joe. It's tough, I know, but there are thousands of others, just like you all over the country, facing the same problems. Pretty generally, you'll all find about the same answers. Women scare me. At least, they do in a factory. Well, maybe the women are scared too, Joe. That's just the introduction to a 1944 management video about supervising women in the workplace. The rest of the video? Yup, it's as blatantly sexist as you'd think. We've come a long way since then, but even in 2017, we're still navigating the murky waters of office equality. On today's episode, we're exploring gender diversity at work. Is having more of a balance of men and women in the office meaningful for the bottom line? When we put aside our feelings and look at the cold, hard data, is gender diversity worth it? I'm Ashley Milne-Tite, and welcome back to the Morgan Stanley Ideas Podcast. I think some people think, with just all the right intent, we will move the needle, and that it's a much thornier, more difficult problem than that, and it's this realization that it's really, truly going to take a lot of effort. This is Jana Rich. I'm Jana Rich. Jana is an executive recruiter. Her company, Rich Talent Group, works specifically to bring diverse candidates to high-power positions in Silicon Valley and beyond. You know, some examples would be Airbnb, Uber, Warby Parker. Oh, Eventbrite would be another. Jana has her hands in and around Silicon Valley. Now she's helping us pull the curtain back to see how gender diversity fits in and how it's pushed back. Speaking specifically about gender diversity, I mean, what is it? Is it getting a bunch of women in high power positions? I mean, what does it actually look like? It's a great question. There's been a lot of emphasis, especially out in Silicon Valley, in everybody feeling that they have to report their diversity statistics. And to me, that tends to generalize the the challenge, and it doesn't then illustrate what, to me, are more specific pockets. And the quick answer is you need to do many things in order for there to be true gender diversity. I am a big believer, however, that sometimes in the push to get more statistics that look better, we just hire women sort of anywhere we can. And it's easier to do that because of where the talent pool lies in mid or more junior level positions. So that's where we see people sort of beefing up their diversity statistics. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But to me, it's so important that you put the effort that's required to get women onto your leadership team, meaning direct reports to the CEO, and on your board of directors. Because my belief and even some of our research suggests that those mid-level managers oftentimes are drawn to a company when, in fact, they see other women as role models in leadership positions. And conversely, if they see none of that, the chances that they're going to say yes diminish significantly. So if some company said to me, I know it's going to be a multi-pronged approach and there's going to be many different things I have to do, but I have to prioritize something first, my goal and objective on their behalf would be to make sure that we focus in on getting a couple of women on your leadership team because that will then create a ripple effect. And I'm just I'm curious, how dedicated are the companies you work with these days to trying to achieve that, to trying to achieve more diversity at senior levels? I think the quick answer would be there's a lot more talk about it, but talk is also different than actually making the decisions. So, for example, a vast majority of the companies we work with 
proactively state that they want more women in leadership. That having been said, so our job is then to provide the best qualified slate of candidates we can. And then ultimately, it is the company's decision to choose. So I'll give an example, and I won't use the name of the company for obvious reasons. Sure. So this company has about 70% of their customers are female. And there are no women on the leadership team. And they came to me in a way that I truly believe is genuine and sincere, which is we need a head of HR. And we you know, very much need and want for that to be a woman because we want to represent our customer base much more strongly. So go forth. And we had had about eight candidates in front of them, five of which were women. And there were different assessment dimensions in this interview loop, if you will, one of which was what we called strategic ability or strategic agility. And all five of the women were rejected out of the process based on the feedback on that one dimension. So we got the leadership team back together again, said, I, I know and believe your state of objective is to get a great female candidate into this role, but here's what's happening and why. And so as we really dug into what did they mean by strategic ability and what was it that was happening, why the women were falling short in it, this was around sort of the way that they debate, the way that they make decisions. And it was very much a culture of active, uh, even I would borderline say aggressive debate where you had to be really able to defend your point of view, even present the alternate uh, point of view. So here's option A and B, the pros and cons for each of them. It was a very much sort of debate-oriented culture. And so they perceived that the women you know, weren't sort of up to that task, if you will. So I said, hold on, let's just again dive into this one more time. So these are HR leaders. Just as an example, some of the data that they're going to be bringing forward, depending on what the decision is, could be an employment survey. And so let's say, for example, 90% of your employees said X. So that HR person is going to advise you very strongly that there isn't an option B or C if the data is that instructive in one direction. To which the founder and CEO said, Number one, I actually don't really value that much the employment surveys. I think that there can be better data. But I also don't fundamentally believe that there's like only one option. Even if 90% of employees said X, I don't know that necessarily that's the right way to go. So it started to unlock. They didn't feel like the women were able to debate in the way that they wanted on their leadership team. The search ended successfully, but with a male candidate. And he's been there now for several years and is still thriving. So it, it's hard to decide whether that's a success story or not. I mean, they found a great person. He's contributed greatly. But we didn't solve the objective of trying to find a woman to join their leadership team. How, was that frustrating to you? Yes. <laughs> and it was frustrating, just to be clear, because to me, there was an incredible delta between what I felt was genuine and sincere intent. I still believe that to this day. And I think what's frustrating about it is not that that particular company did not hire a woman. What's frustrating about it to me is even with companies, leaders, executive teams whose heart is in the right place, these kinds of changes are, are tough because they have to fundamentally believe that this female candidate is qualified and is going to thrive in their environment. Which also, by the way, comes back to this concept of culture additive, right? Trying to lead our clients that's not just exactly what you've got assembled today. They're going to be a little different, but they're still going to be able to, you know, play game with you. They're still going to be every bit as qualified. But, yeah, they might challenge you to think and, and value things a little bit differently. 
I was going to say that plays right into the culture part of this, which is essentially the guys didn't feel that the women candidates fit into their culture. Correct. They worried that at our leadership team level, they weren't going to be able to sort of hold their own, if that's the right way to say it, in terms of how we debate, how we make decisions. And to me, you know, if, if I could have had even more influence in this situation, it would have been, let's really think about this, because I think they can, and they're going to do it in different ways. And so you've got to be open to different approaches as opposed to ruling them out. Had they, in fact, picked a female candidate? I mean, how do companies like that benefit by having a mix of genders at the top? Well, in this particular company, too, it's layered on to, at that point in time, every single member of the leadership team was white and male, that much is probably obvious, but had also worked together in the past. So they'd come from two sort of high-flying tech companies where they had tons of history with one another. So to me, this is not just about gender diversity, but diversity of thought, diversity of experience, bringing different experiences to the table. So had we brought somebody different, and in this particular example, what we're talking about is a female into that group, I actually think the assimilation, the onboarding would have been tough. I really do. I don't think it would have been easy, but it would have been a great outcome. They would have had different points of view. And if that one woman had sort of been able to break through, others would have followed. That's my honest belief in it. It turns out that Jana's honest belief isn't just belief, it's fact. But tokenism, having just one woman on your board or one woman in a high power position, that isn't gender diversity. When companies have a strong balance of men and women, from mailroom to boardroom, it could lead to even more surprising results. We think that more diverse firms can actually yield better revenues because their employees are more engaged, they're more productive. We think that more diverse firms can have better opportunities for innovation of products and services. And a part of that could be reaching new customer audiences. If their employees themselves are more diverse, they can actually come up with with better products for diverse groups. We think that diversity can also help with talent retention. And then finally, at the governance level, when we think about some of the academic research that shows that diverse groups make better decisions, we also think that there can be a risk management benefit. But wait, there's more. No, really, there could be more tangible and monetary benefits to having a diverse workforce. Eva Zlotnicka. I'm Eva Zlotnicka. I work as an equity research analyst at Morgan Stanley. Eva works on the sustainable and responsible investment research team. They sift through loads of data to discover what makes a company and its stock valuable and then give that information to investors to help them make more informed decisions about where to put their money. Their recent focus was on, you guessed it, gender diversity. When the gender diversity scoring that we did was back-tested to look at the performance of stocks historically, we found that high gender diversity firms had better risk-adjusted returns, which means they had relatively similar returns, slightly better returns, but with lower volatility. Let's break that down a little bit. The volatility that we're talking about is in investment performance or in stock returns, which would mean that an investor ideally would like to see stability and consistency over time in their investment. And so introducing volatility would mean rapid changes in stock price or in returns over a short amount of time, which ideally an investor would like to avoid. 
This research method is previously uncharted territory. The Sustainable and Responsible Investment Research Team isn't just looking at companies and rating them based on gender equality. They're developing nuanced data and examining a company's performance as a whole, all of which led to Eva's team essentially finding the proof to back up the notion that gender diversity makes the company more valuable, literally. As Jana mentioned earlier, getting more women in corner offices helps motivate women in lower-level management, but having a diverse workforce across all levels is what truly makes a company valuable, according to this new research. One of the theories behind why that is has to do with perspective. Maybe some of you were fans of Mad Men, the drama set at a 1960s ad agency. In one early episode, the male staff are ogling a focus group of women trying on lipsticks, protected by a two-way mirror. In that scene, Peggy, a secretary, makes an offhand comment to the copywriter about how the trash can full of lipstick-covered tissues looks like a basket of kisses. The writer ends up using Peggy's idea and they bring her onto the campaign. Peggy moves from being a subject in a focus group for an ad campaign to being a copywriter developing an ad campaign. She's not just providing her perspectives on women as consumers, she's someone whose way of thinking challenges her organization to be better. And it paid off, the ad is a success, thanks to Peggy. Now you can substitute lipstick and ads with pretty much any other product and objective. What you can't substitute is having a diversity of perspectives or diversity of genders. That's what leads to more valuable work. And investors are starting to pay attention to that. Here's Eva to explain. My team is focused on these types of topics. It's no surprise that it's something we've we've spent the time on and we've found, you know, some reasons and drivers and motivations for looking at it. But the fact that we have our quantitative strategy team who is agnostic to you know, where the data com- comes from or what sorts of topics it's about and they really are just looking at what the what the data is showing them. The fact that they came back with such strong results um, and have now even gone to the point where when they look at their traditional quantitative metrics that they they rank companies on, they're now considering including gender diversity as one of those metrics because they've actually found that, again, that, that information ratio, those uh, risk-adjusted returns are better when you incorporate the gender diversity as- aspect. So if you consider that, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty powerful to say that a mainstream quantitative strategist would be interested in using this data. This research is also useful for someone like Jana Rich, who uses her recruiting platform to elevate women, the LGBT community and people of colour into higher positions. But it's not quite time to pop the champagne corks and cheer to equality in the workplace. There's still a lot of work to be done. Here's Jana again. I think we all as human beings fundamentally are uncomfortable with change and difference. I think there's also a discomfort with risk. So that's perceived risk in terms of the person qualified, that kind of risk, but also risk of, you know, will they shake this up in a way that is uncomfortable for us? And I do think even with all the benefits that are certainly being communicated over and over and over again, it's hard sometimes to work against the inertia of what's comfortable. What do you think is next for making gender diversity really happen on a large scale? Yeah. So what's next? I mean, to me, the whole concept of how we get more gender diversity on teams is a big 
thorny, hard problem. I do not believe anyone has it perfectly figured out yet. But I think there's a rallying cry that we are going to hold you accountable. We are going to push you. We'll show you all the benefits of it that will really change things. So to me, the fact that this is something that is over and over and over again repeated in the media and in boardrooms and in leadership teams, I do believe that is fundamentally going to change things because it's you're, you're being held accountable. It's not going away. It, I mean, think to some degree, people probably roll their eyes a little bit because they feel like they've heard maybe too much about this, but I feel like we're only just beginning. At the point where we've really figured it out and leadership teams look differently, maybe then you can roll your eyes and say, we've gotten there, but we're just barely beginning. So I think it's that combination of let's all go on this journey together. We're going to share some things that work and we're going to hold you accountable. And if you need more advice, here's some parting wisdom from that 1944 management video. This all boils down to four things to remember. One, don't mix pleasure with business. Two, women can be awfully jealous of each other. Three, avoid undue familiarity. And finally, women are more sensitive than men. Maybe I'm being sensitive here, but that video probably could have benefited from having more women in the writer's room. That's it for this episode of the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the research discussed in this podcast and listen to previous episodes, you can check out morganstanley.com ideas. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. <laughs>